Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the self-awareness one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Self-awareness is such a vast topic, I wasn't sure what direction that a podcast recording might go. I was keen to get an inspirational conversation on the complexities of self-awareness and I was really looking forward to this recording and having heard it back, I know you will too. We're really happy to welcome three amazing guests to talk through this really complex topic. This week's guests are Sue Stockdale, Caitlin Drago and Rachel Wood. Our first guest is Sue Stockdale. Sue is a polar explorer and coach who champions stepping into the unknown. Her empowering message motivates leaders to conquer fears and uncertainties, from working in a war zone with the UN to becoming the first British woman to reach the magnetic North Pole. Sue embodies resilience. Our second guest is Caitlin Drago. Caitlin's mission is to create cultures of empathy, creativity and trust, beginning with how people communicate and connect. Caitlin is LA-based and is an actor. Our final guest is Rachel Wood. Rachel is a learning business partner with a large technology consultancy and delivery organisation. She's an advocate and explorer of all things learning and thrives on connecting business with the learning industry in creative and impactful ways. This is a remarkable conversation between three remarkable women. Sit back and enjoy listening to Women Talking About Learning. This is Sue, Caitlin and Rachel talking about self-awareness. Well, hi, Rachel and Caitlin. How is life for you today, whatever you are in the world? Uh, it's great for me, although it's a, it's a bit of a miserable day here in Leeds in the UK. How about you, Caitlin? Oh, it's an unseasonably uh, warm day, actually, today in upstate New York. So I'm looking forward to maybe taking a walk later. <laughs> That'll be nice. And of course, it's a Friday, isn't it? So uh, perhaps we're all looking forward to the weekend in different ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated to find out what you what we all think about the subject of self-awareness. You know, my curiosity is piqued already to think about how does this subject is, is even of interest to anybody? Oh, gosh, I hope so. <laughs> For the sake of humanity, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes it of interest to you then, Caitlin? Well, you know, we we walk through life not always aware of the impact that we have on others. And when you can have that aha moment of, oh, this is what's going on with me, and this is the impact that it is having on others, it can really help to shift relationships and allow us, and allow us to communicate with and connect with others in different ways that just allow us for better <laughs> relationships and, and that that ability to notice how am I feeling, what's going on with me, how am I coming across, and how is it impacting the way that this other person is also feeling. What about you, Rachel? I think I loved how you brought out connectedness because that's what came to my mind when, when we were talking um, or when Sue asked the question. I think for me, I guess it's, it's the impact of me on the world but it's also about being genuine and authentic um and when you're really understanding of yourself and how that impacts those around you you can build out some really impressive impact particularly in your circles of influence i think you know this is a journey that i have been on in terms of building self-awareness 
Um, and I think it's a journey every, everybody's on, whether con consciously or unconsciously. And if you can be intentional about it, I think that's when you can get some some incredible aha moments. And and even if even if it is about reflecting back on where you've come from, you can you can almost see some of those things come to fruition and be like, oh, that's that's what changed me in that in that moment. And you're able to take that into the future. What about you, Sue? The way I'm thinking about this is sometimes we see the lack of self-awareness more clearly, or certainly I've seen that with uh, some of the coaching clients that I have, <laughs> where they, they uh, have got a blind spot about something, about the way they're conducting themselves. And, and they come with that lack of self-awareness and, and sometimes maybe say, well, someone else has told me to, I've got to fix this thing. There's nothing wrong with me, really. <laughs> and therefore, I think it's that wonderful sense of taking somebody on a journey without judging them, without making them feel uncomfortable, but slowly and surely helping them to get that aha moment, as you were talking about, Caitlin, where they go, oh, crumbs, was I really like that before? I just didn't see it. And for some, that can be a very quick process. Uh, and for others, it can, well, they can never get there. So, so <laughs> I'm just thinking about as much as we want to have self-awareness, if if, certainly I think if I went into an organization and asked people, okay, well, who's Who's not self-aware here? People would be really readily spotted, and therefore, perhaps those are the those are the opportunities and the moments to help people develop and grow and change. I think some of my experience building on what you said there has been about people think they have self-awareness, but it's subjective in terms of actually is that what other people recognise as self-awareness, or is that a narrative that you've created about yourself, and and that comes through. So I work in internal L and D. I love working in internal L&D. It is a treasure trove of things and it comes up all the time. So, so you're talking about having coaching clients. We're probably some of the people that are saying, potentially could use some coaching with this, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to try and um, to build out some of that because it's the impact, not just, you know, we see it on the teams. And feedback that you get from teams on people or from clients, if it's, you know, if you're client facing. So the subjectiveness is is a really interesting thought as well. Yeah. And I, I want to touch back on something that you said, Sue, too, about the idea that we can come at this without judgment. It can just be this is what it is. There's, and I'd be interested to hear what types of tools you both use when it comes to bringing out that self-awareness and what tends to work when I use like the, the DISC assessment, which is, you know, one of many tools that one can use, but this measures your communication style and setting that tone of everyone has a different communication style. Nothing is right or wrong about any of them. It's just a starting point for that self-awareness and to understand, again, like Rachel, like you said, the impact that you're having on the world. So it, it, on you go, Caitlin. No, I was just going to ask, you know, follow up that, that more specific question with what is it that you find helps to set the stage for self-awareness? What is that inroad to self-awareness, both with your coaching clients, Sue, and Rachel, with your internal clients? I guess for, for me is when I was a 
a young girl many years ago learning about coaching. The definition for coaching that came from the, the Grow uh, model and uh, Coaching for Performance book, Sir John Whitmore's book, was about coaching is about raising awareness and encouraging responsibility. And for me, that bit about awareness was not only awareness of other people, but about awareness of self. And so how how do I come across when I'm speaking? I might think I'm being really clear and direct and somebody else is thinking I'm being rude or too too pushy, uh, for example, or, you know, just any of our behaviours. And, and maybe for me, it's worth clarifying what we mean by self-awareness. And I, I would say it's about how one tunes into one's feelings and emotions and thoughts and actions. And if you've got that awareness, then you have the choice and hopefully the responsibility to then change. And so there's, we can be aware and say, oh yeah, well, I'm, I might be uh, very demanding of other people, for example, or I might be uh, too unclear sometimes. So what? But, you know, I could, I could hear a leader imagine somebody saying that sort of thing. So it's the, it's the sense and getting a sense of the consequence on others. And, and for me, that's these days, I think is the more and more there's value in helping people to reflect on and think about the consequence of others, particularly when we're working in this virtual space where I'm just thinking of a real simple example in a team context is going on to a call and not putting your camera on. And then I've been on calls like that. I'm sure you have as well, where you're thinking, is this person on their phone at the same time? Are they sending a text? Are they bored? What's going on? And it could be a very simple reason that they haven't put their camera on, but because they didn't have the awareness to think about, well, how this might be perceived by others and maybe even explaining it, then others make judgments and form views about that and take actions accordingly. You know, that's a really simple thing, but a, a way I think that self-awareness can be helpful to to then think, actually, well, what are my actions? What's the consequence of my actions on other people? And maybe therefore I need to adapt my style and my behavior to realize that actually it might want a more positive consequence to communicate something more effectively to other people. So uh, that's my sense of it. And it is. I love that that point of the adaptation, too. It doesn't have to be like you said, well, I'm direct. So what? It can be, I'm direct, maybe they're not. Let's see how we can meet in the middle. I love that. And I think teach, like going back to what you were saying, Caitlin, about tools and techniques and things, I think as, as internal, I, I get asked about lots of different sort of profiling tools and disk and insights and the list is as long as your arm. And, and my request is always, what are you trying to get out of it at the other end? Because often you have seen them used, not as they were necessarily intended to be used, but it is it is a case of, well, I'm a red, cool. Whereas actually it is, it is to that point, this is the starting place of, of what, where you're going to get to. I think quite a lot of, uh, so I work in the tech space. Self-awareness is a challenge sometimes in the tech space. A really interesting challenge to be part of because actually you know, with the innovations that, that people come up with and, and the way in which people work, whether, you know, they're, they're taking on certain methodologies. I think there's ways that people in the smaller teams gather information about themselves or each other and then are able to have an environment where they can share that information. So it's all about that sort of feedback cycle with each other. But as you as you grow that or if you get into sort of, outside of a team space and more into like a department or further into a, a corporate business, 
that seems to disappear a little bit in terms of how that feedback is is brought through because I think that's vital when when you're trying to learn about yourself um, but also learn about other people that exchange is is going to be intrinsic to how you're going to move forward with it. Do you find that the tech helps or hinders that process Rachel? Uh, Both in equal measure um, which is probably a cop-out thing to say really Um, but I think there's there's slightly different adaptations I think the ways in which we can work and learn about ourselves are exponentially more because we have space to do that but the way that we then give feedback haven't necessarily found that adaptation of the culture of how we do that through a screen and remain authentic and remain genuine and intentional about what the purpose is as to giving the feedback. It can come across, you know, I, I've seen it plenty of times. I gave feedback, it was just a team's message now. And I was like, well, that's not really how we want to be moving forward. Like this was constructive feedback for somebody. The rules still apply, like the unwritten rules still apply about you know, respectful ways that you're going to do this face to face, we can still do that. It's just adapted. And I think the the biggest barrier is how we how we maintain the safety when it comes to giving feedback, particularly if it is constructive, because often we give them feedback into somebody's home. This is their safe place. So they're in their safe place. And you may have said something that has uh, made them question or is is asking them to reflect on something and it's making them feel uncomfortable in their own home. And I think that's where some of the barriers have come from. I'd never thought about it like that before, Rachel. That's just a really interesting point you're making there about this our, our home and, you know, if it's a safe space and we're going into a workplace, we've got somewhere to retreat to. If we're there yeah. getting that feedback, then where do we retreat to? Yeah. There's also it, something. It... Sorry, Caitlin, you go. Oh, I was just going to say that I think there's also something to the idea that you can receive that feedback and turn off a camera and process it in the way that you need to, where you're not in an office surrounded by a bunch of other people feeling like you need to then, you know, put on a face and continue on with your day surrounded by people. So I see where you said, you know, in equal measure that it can hinder and it can help. Rachel, you earlier mentioned that, you know, you have been on a journey developing your self-awareness. I'm always interested to know what have you learned and how have you gone about that process for yourself? Because I'm imagining you're a role model for others as well. Um, so my, I, I would call it, it's really a journey of self-reflection. This is, this is the learning part. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily designated activity that I was doing. I come from my husband's ex-military so we moved around a lot and you get to spend a lot of time by yourself so you've got to learn about yourself and learn where your strengths are and learn where your strengths are not to to try to either overcome them um so he hasn't really lived it down but he bought me a sat nav for a wedding gift um because we were so it's like a driving locations mapping so there's lots of different types um mine was a tom tom um, oh i see but he, but he bought it for me as a wedding gift and everyone thought he was being really rude <laughs> but actually it's probably the most helpful gift he's ever bought me <laughs> because we then moved 11 hours away from where we lived and then he went away so i was there by myself and i had no idea where i was 
and I didn't have any support. So you get to learn about yourself really, really quickly. And spending that time reflecting on it allows you to think about the things that you want to spend your time on and value your time doing and also the things that you don't want to spend your time on and don't value doing. So I, it helped me move in my career. It helped me move in my home life. So th- there's all sorts of things, but it all, it all stems back to that journey as to you have to spend some time thinking. And I think particularly in business, so I've worked in large organizations and small ones, it's that time element that isn't necessarily as prioritized as it should be as part of the journey to get towards self-awareness it's it's not seen as productive time or I I can't think of more productive time than spending some time reflecting on where you've come from what are your thoughts Sue? You're reminding me of a of a person I interviewed for a, a magazine article I was writing and this was a she, she's an Olympic sportswoman part of a rowing team so four of them and I asked them about how they get how they how they develop and they grow and they develop awareness and keep improving. And um, she said that what happened was that they don't have time really to do that much of that self-awareness. So what they did was they sort of, uh, what would be the word, nudged themselves. They pre-programmed what they were going to reflect on before they even got in the boat to do a training session. So they would say, okay, this is what we're going to be focusing on today. They would get in the boat, do the training session. And as they got out the boat and carried the boat back to the boathouse, they would be doing their reflection together and saying, what do you think about, you know, what did you do well? What did you want to improve? And they would be thinking about it and reflecting it in, in it on it for themselves. And to me, that was like a lovely example of, we, we often say we haven't got time for it, but if we actually know what we're going to think about, we can make the time that we do have more productive. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether that resonates with you, Caitlin, or not, or whether you, yeah. how do you approach self-awareness? So I, I love that idea of coupling it with an activity. You know, when we are doing something that's not, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to self-reflect. That's tough to do. (laughs) When you are rowing and thinking, you know, you're doing something different with your body, it's accessing a different part of your brain. In my work, I use improv as a platform for interactive learning. And so I'm putting people in a space where they are getting to laugh and do an activity and connect with each other in that way. And again, access that learning part of their brain. And then we reflect on that experience and what what did we notice about ourselves and how we work together and how we communicate. It is another inroad that's a little less intimidating, again, than just sitting down with your journal, which I find (laughs) to be a little challenging at times. It's nice to have that activity coupled with it. That sounds like a brilliant way to learn doing that that improv. It also seems like it could be a bit uncomfortable for some. Is it ever? Absolutely. Yes. But I always say I always design for the person who doesn't want to be there. So... But what about you, Sue, for your own self-reflection? What helps you? What kind of tools do you use? Well, movement is number one. I I am not a sit-in-the-room kind of girl with a notebook and and writing anything down. I am a move, talk with somebody else very often to gain that awareness. What did you think I was doing there? And how did that work? And Or or just moving myself. I love being in nature and the outdoors. And that, that inspires me to actually think, I'm just a human being in this big world 
And actually, I'm not perfect. And we're all human beings and we're just making the best of being here. So there's something about contextualizing. And, and I think sometimes, you know, maybe we, we uh, I don't know, we, we, we put ourselves at the center of the universe more than we need to. <laughs> and I think then that's for me how I really kind of go like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not perfect. And there's things I need to learn here. But in the grand scheme of things, that's fine because everybody's got stuff to learn and nobody's perfect. So that, that's how I do it. But it's always got a bit of movement in it, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. I really like the the getting back to nature to get the perspective and I think so I, I love having conversations with other learning people because we, we're just a curious bunch so we always seem to want to learn either more about ourselves or more about other people I think it, you know maybe that's our our common trait that's why we all sort of gravitate towards that but it's about being curious about the world outside of you as well like so going back to your point as to Maybe we aren't at the center of it, but we are a part of it. So it, what is my part to play in this and how can I do that? That really sort of resonates there. I remember one example that springs to mind was uh, an, an event that I was organizing for a group of people. And um, the, the event speaker was not as good as build, let's say. So it was an uh, underwhelming speaker. The food was kind of brown and bland and, and un, uninspiring as well. And as a result, met several of the people that attended the event complained about it. And I just remember later thinking like, wow, I could run away from this or I could have the courage to pick up the phone and have conversations with those people who've complained and offer them their money back or, you know, apologize to them. And it was like such a great learning. I suddenly realized that, A, for me, that the getting over the hump of the nervousness of of something that's going to be difficult and scary facing into that and having the courage to have those difficult conversations by the end of it the people were actually advocates for the event they didn't want their money back and they really appreciated being called and actually somebody talking to them and I learned a load about myself in that in that very sort of simple thing out of a disaster there was great self-awareness for me and in future I realized that if there's any difficult conversation or something I want to avoid that is the very moment when I need to have the courage to try it out and get uncomfortable and that has really served me ever since then but it was a difficult lesson to learn at the time. And what I'm hearing there Sue is that curiosity. It didn't have to be okay I have to get on the phone and defend this event. It's let me get on the phone, let me get curious and find out what I can, like you were saying, Rachel, we're a curious bunch of, and we want to learn from other people. What can I learn from this experience? What is there to be gained here? Yeah. And I don't have to be right. And the time thing, I think, again, when, when I'm busy, it's very easy to do a knee-jerk reaction to something, to be defensive, to not think about how I'm responding and therefore not really getting any learning from it. I've also learned that to take just a few moments, take a breath before responding and not send that email that I want to send <laughs> to somebody else. You can okay. still send it just a little bit later if it's still warranted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or send it to myself. At least, yeah. it's, you know, I've, I've expressed it. But not, you know, doing it without thought and then not thinking about the consequences then when it, it's awkward. And Caitlin, what about it from your perspective? Do you think that, you know, the a lack of self-awareness or a greater level of self-awareness has got any gendered perspective to it? I think with a lot of things, there's a gendered perspective to it. Maybe not necessarily from nature, but from the societal point. 
if we look at, how, and I know that there have been studies that have been done on this, but when young boys hit a certain age, they are given a, or I guess throughout their whole childhood, there there's messaging that comes across in terms of who they're supposed to be. And maybe there's not as much encouragement for them to be self-reflective, whereas young girls and young women get to maintain those close relationships with one another where that's that safe self-awareness, that non-judgmental space can be maintained so that they can gain that self-awareness. That's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> what do you think, Rachel? I think I think you're absolutely right. It is a big question. I think so and speaking just from my own personal experience, there are things that I may have previously held myself back from and it's it's not common or it's not uncommon for you know for example women don't apply for as many jobs if they don't think that they hit the criteria maybe maybe being aware of some of the things that are maybe not our strengths hold us back from doing them anyway and getting out of the comfort zone or or trying to do them I think we are a strong and powerful group of people and sometimes self-awareness can be a bit of a, a wake-up call in terms of, did I really let that happen? So I, I know that I've been in a situation where in previous employment much longer ago than currently, where I've let people talk to me in a way that I would no longer let anybody speak to me because I know that I don't find that acceptable anymore. But until I went through that uncomfortable, this is making me feel really unsafe, until I'd built that up as to this isn't right and this isn't normal and this isn't what should be happening, then actually that that was able to, to come through as a learning for me. And that's really sort of changed how I approach some of those conversations and how I approach those relationships now, um, you know, sort of setting some really clear expectations. And that's what I'd expect in return as well. So, you know, this isn't just a one-way street. It can be really painful. And I think back to Sue's point earlier, sometimes getting uncomfortable is really painful or scary. What about your thoughts, Sue? I think that uncomfortableness is often what can stop people being open to feedback, being open to thinking about, hmm, maybe it's me that could be having a, a weakness here or maybe there's something I could develop or learn here. And yet, Going through discomfort, as we all know, you know, going into that come out of our comfort zone is a zone of learning and growth. And and how can you know any of us in what our respective activities that we're doing in the learning space, how can we inspire and encourage people to get uncomfortable? And I'm imagining, Caitlin, you must be doing that if you're doing your improv work, that that's a really core part of what you're doing. Absolutely. And it is it is all about creating that space where people can feel as comfortable as possible getting uncomfortable. And we talked about this earlier when we were mentioning those assessments, like making it really clear, what is the purpose of this? What are we trying to accomplish here? Are we getting uncomfortable just because it's fun to see people squirm? Or are we getting uncomfortable for the sake of learning more about one another so that we can improve X, Y, and Z. What is the purpose? What are the parameters? What are the rules 
within this context so that I know what to expect and and I know that I can share in a way that's not going to be used against me. What about you, Rachel, in that context about getting uncomfortable? How would you approach it with, with somebody you're working with? So I think, and I think it leads back to a couple of the points that, that we've all made, really. It's about the intention as to what you're trying to achieve. Is that the right time and is that the right space to do it? Leading with the curiosity in terms of what, what can be the best outcome here for everybody involved. You know, we're, we're not going in because being uncomfortable in that in that zone, it's vulnerable. It's a vulnerable space to be. So how do you maintain that safety for yourself, but also for the people that you're with and you're impacting? Um, because we don't know, we don't know what's happening in other people's lives. We just know what we can see and, and what's been shared with us. So I think there's a real, there's a real opportunity to not go in all guns blazing and make people feel more uncomfortable than they need to be. And really thinking about having empathy with that person in that moment, particularly when you're giving feedback, it might be, it might be challenging feedback and it, and it might be required. You can still feel for that person at the same time. And, and that requires you sometimes setting yourself aside and understanding how you set yourself aside and, and don't sort of over project, really. Mm, that's a really important point, Rachel. I'm just w- also wondering uh, around how we, we help people to get into the habit of, you know, continual self-awareness and growth and learning. I mean, I know the example at the end of meetings I often run or coaching sessions, I always ask the people I'm with, so what did we do well here? Or what did I do well? And what do you want me to change for the next time? And and it's every single time. And so it's just, it's part of the habit of the meeting. So people are used to hearing the positives and they're also used to hearing the development areas. So it's like we practice getting uncomfortable and therefore we're more used to it. And, and I don't know whether there are any habits that either of you two, Rachel or Caitlin, conduct to just help yourself and others to get into that habit of continually developing more awareness about themselves yeah you know in a similar way whenever I finish work with people I ask for feedback you know what what went well here what didn't go well here and to your point Sue you're you're making that um those moments of discomfort something that they're used to you're also modeling it for them so they can see what what it can look like. It becomes a little less scary when we can see someone else go through it. What about you, Rachel? So in a, in a similar vein, I think what we like to do, so working in tech, we're often working with sort of agile teams or, or technology teams, and they recognize things like retrospectives as part of their common vernacular of work. Um, so adding those into learning initiatives are brilliant it's a brilliant way to gain feedback for whatever it is that you're doing but also opening that space where people can give a little bit more context rather than a happy sheet that you get at the end of a session this is about what did you gain from this what do so I I like to use the four L's like one of them is what did you learn and it's a it's a difficult word but what did you loathe what didn't you like so that we can change it for the next person. And actually, if we go into each of these things, like it's it's almost always a pilot, there's always room for improvement. And I think that sort of mindset 
allows people to feel comfortable that they can give that feedback as well. It's, it's almost expected of them to do so. Rachel, what I'm are writing the other two... down. Yeah. yeah. What, <laughs> what, are the the what are the other two L's? <laughs> I'm writing them down. <laughs> um, so now you've got me. Um, so what, one is, what did I love? So what did I love about this? What did I learn? Um, what did I loathe? And what did it lack? So the lacking and the loathing are the other sort of uh, constructive feedback elements. Some of them are subjective and some of them are deeply personal. I didn't like when you brought this up. Don't use that example again. Okay. And I like I like having both loathe and lack because loathe give them, gives them that opportunity to vent. Yeah. And lack gives them the opportunity or that challenge to say, okay, what exactly was it that was missing here so that we can do something differently next time? Absolutely. And if I might add on to this idea of, of the retrospective, Rachel, you're reminding me of going to an art gallery where you might go and see a retrospective of a famous artist and see all their work. At least that's how I interpret what that word means for me. Yeah. And, and in doing that, you're the observer on the piece of work on the wall. And therefore we get one we're one step removed from the situation. And I think that's a really important part of this whole process of feedback and learning and developing awareness is that we're able to disassociate ourselves from the actual information. So we don't take it to heart because that's what often happens when people are getting feedback, they take it personally. I, I always hold in my mind, there used to be a television program in Britain called The Generation Game, where things would go on a conveyor belt in front of the contestant who was trying to pick them or whatever. And I kind of think about that like feedback and learning is like you sitting watching a conveyor belt or a production line going in front of you with this feedback and information or this retrospective. And you're able to be one step removed from it so you can manage your emotions and your emotional reaction to that feedback. So that would be my kind of top tip to a listener to say, if you want to develop more self-awareness, learn to have that conveyor belt approach where you can be disassociated and manage your emotions so that you actually can really hear and listen to what's being said. What would what would be your top tips, Caitlin and Rachel? Now you've got me thinking. Um, <laughs> what would be my top tip? I think mine, mine would be about, it's about the environment and it's, all of the advice that we're given around feedback and things is it needs to be in the moment. It just needs to be timely. It needs to be timely feedback because in the moment may not be the right time to have that conversation. And, and, and as you, as to your point, Sue, be able to take that step back and look at it in a factual manner rather than an emotional manner. So mine would be about being really aware of the environment in which you are asking people to be uncomfortable. So important. Caitlin. And I think I think mine would be to stay curious and to notice what's happening. You know, what is the emotion that's happening? How does my body feel in this moment? And instead of judging it or saying this is wrong, I need to get myself out of this, you know, taking that moment and getting curious about, well, what is triggering this in me? right now and what can I learn from that it sounds like we've got we've hopefully given our listeners some <laughs> useful practical tips that they can go I away to so. develop their self-awareness I've loved speaking to both of you yeah this Me was too. lovely nice to meet you soon Rachel we hope you gained some valuable insights into the world of self-awareness and personal growth 
There were loads of useful tips and knowledge from Sue, Caitlin and Rachel, yet it felt like they only scratched the surface. A huge thank you to all three of them for giving up their time and sharing their wisdom. You can find links to all the references they mentioned in the show notes, along with Sue, Caitlin and Rachel's profiles and contact details. We've some super episodes coming up before Christmas. And if you're interested in being a guest on future episodes, then please do get in touch. All of our contact details are in the show notes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another special episode of Women Talking About Learning. And to mark the International Day of Disability, next time it's the disability one. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.